1: Hello everyone and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. It's episode 630 and I am Matt Perslow, joined today by Emma Matthews. Hello. And Joe Scribbles. Hi. Hello everyone, how are we doing? Very good. Very anybody Great Anybody buy it. a major studio this week? I put my oar in to take
0: Capcom under my wing. Nice. Uh, but, uh, you know, they said, you know what? we actually think you'll flourish without us. They were nice. So uh, yeah, so I'm working on Devil May Cry 6 alone. Ooh. And uh, wow. they've given me the IP and... Um, I'm going to make a real mess of it.
1: You're, you're just going for the. I assumed that you would have already greenlit, like, a quadrology of uh, Dragon's Dogma games. Look, even... One with an ego such as I
0: would not dream of taking that away from Itsuno. He can work on that in his own sweet
2: time,
1: and he will. Emma, who have you bought this week?
2: Uh, I think I'm going to buy... Maybe I will also buy Activision Blizzard, you know.
0: (laughs) A second purchase. Actually,
2: I think... or maybe I'll just buy Microsoft. I'll just buy buy everything. Why not? Why
1: not? Easy.
2: Just
0: the
1: trillion dollar company. Yeah, (laughs) I'll take it on. Neither of you said Nintendo. Which does does this suggest, as two people that have played Pokemon Legends Arceus, or is it Arceus? How do we? I think, I think uh, it's the, the common conception is that
0: they've changed it to Arceus because Arceus is funny to people in our country. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's actually true, or if that's like an urban myth, but uh,
1: I believe it's now Arceus. Right. So, are neither of you buying Nintendo because you think it's a bad Pokemon, or is it just because you'd rather? You can see that the Nintendo DNA is strong and you don't want to put your ore in. Yeah, Uh, we'll
2: leave leave it up to them for now. I
0: I would rather Nintendo do their own things for now. Uh, And honestly, that's somewhat borne out. Although, of course, we're going to get people writing in going, well, actually, it's a Pokemon company that makes Pokemon (laughs) Legends. Um, That's somewhat borne out by this. I can't believe the Pokemon company's taken a risk. It's Mm. happened. They finally made something different. Uh, Still looks bad. (laughs) <laughs> um but uh it is uh i've i've i will say i have played about 10 hours i reckon maybe a little less um emma i'm not sure where you're at with it but i'm like hu- i keep saying hunter rank because it does steal some monster hunter stuff um i'm at whatever pokemon master rank three out of i think it's 10 maybe eight yeah. okay. um so i'm relatively early uh but it's like it's such a weird mix of like really interesting and deeply boring. <laughs> like, I can't work it out at all. It's really strange.
2: No, I know what you mean. Like, I've I've finished it now, so I've rolled credits and I'm on to, like, post-game stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've played about, like, 22, 23 hours at this point. And, yeah, I have the same kind of feeling of, like, there's some stuff that I really like about it, which I think is cool, and then there's just other bits which just seem like a bit of a bizarre choice of, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. So... One of the things that I really like about it is like the setting. So it's set in like the past, back when humans and Pokemon weren't like properly like living together. Mm. Um, so it's in like the, like the Sinnoh region, but it was like before where it was called uh, Hisui. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is that you've got like this sort of like central village that you're in called Jubilife Village. And then you'll go out into these other areas that are like not built up at all. It's just open for you to kind of go and explore. Um, And I really like having that freedom, but at the same time, it feels like there's not actually that much going on in those open areas. It's literally just like a little bit of grass or a little bit of snow or rock.
0: And it's absolutely Covered in furious Pokemon that don't want you anywhere near them. Yes. Like everyone in this game, to, to build on the idea of like this this feeling that this is before Pokemon and humans live together, like everyone in this game is act or well, almost everyone in this game is actively afraid of Pokemon. Like they constantly talk about how frightening and monstrous they are. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. And then you go out and you're like, I totally get it, because as soon as you walk anywhere, fucking four rhydons come flying at you. <laughs> like it's wild how much they hate you like this is it's a brutal game in places um and i don't maybe this is just me kind of trying to fly through it a bit but i don't know if you came across this emma do you feel like it's not harder but like more punishing like i find my pokemon fainting all the time like getting absolutely battered when we when i accidentally get in a in a fight
2: Absolutely. Like, even towards the end, where my team were like, they felt really strong to me, I was mm. still getting, like, one shot. If the matchup is bad, that's it. Like, you messed up and you have to start again, basically. Like, I think also, especially when you're, like, out in the wild, because there's moments where you might, like, see a Pokémon that you want to catch and you, like, run over to it, and obviously it's going to be, like, immediately aggressive towards you. Mm. Um, I had fights where I would be like, okay, I'm going to catch this this Pokémon, I can deal with one, and, like, two others would just kind of, like, amble over and be yeah. like, oh, we want to fight too. And it's like, but it's still just one of mine against, like, three of you. Um, like, it's fun. Like, I do like that about it in that they feel mm. more like a wild animal and, like, actually yeah. outside in the wild that you're like, okay, I don't know what you're going to do. And, you know, it feels like there are... The extra ones coming in to sort of join the fight does feel, like, more exciting.
0: Yeah, but and it's like you say... quite a bit harder. <laughs> it does seem to put... um it does seem to put a premium, as you say, on the matchups. Like, you do actually have to think about your party and go, like, okay, if I'm going to try and catch this one, there's no, you know, if I'm going to try and catch this, like, ghastly, there's literally no point in putting out a normal-type Pokémon because it will just get battered straight away. Like, and there will be nothing I can do about it. Like, and it really, it puts a bit more premium on, like, the wild Pokémon battles being harder. And I think that's to kind of counterbalance the fact that it wants you catching Pokémon way more frequently than mainline games, like some of the it has this thing so like for those who haven't seen you've got like research tasks so to unlock your Pokédex entry it's not just catch it once and you get all the info you have to do a bunch of stuff some of it's like see them use this move a few times or uh, defeat them by catching them unawares first that kind of thing like quite like like miniature side quests built within pokédex entries but that also includes like I don't know. I don't know if it adds this later on, but you can like max out these things well beyond the level you need to to get the full Pokédex entry, and it's asking you to catch like twenty five of the same Pokemon and stuff. And I don't know whether it's ever going to ask me to actually do that, Emma. I don't know if you've got to that point. I, that feels like post gamey stuff to me. But yeah, it's kind of like it really wants you catching stuff all the time, and that means going into your boxes and, like, organising them and making sure that the right Pokémon... You're keeping the right Pokémon and releasing the other ones and stuff like that. It does feel... It's a bit fiddly in that respect, but I am kind of interested in them, like, shifting that balance a little more away from battling and into catching. Or, like, battling to catch rather than battling just for battling's sake. Um That's definitely borne out by... I've never been a competitive Pokémon person, but I know, like, people are a bit upset by how it deals with, like, trading... Uh, like, you can only trade by passing codes to other people. Like, there's no global trading system. And I think battling is... Is battling even
2: possible? I I haven't looked. I don't think you can battle. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think that's in the game at all.
1: Which is kind of wild. Um, But then, uh, Oh, yeah, carry on, on, Joe. Like, I'll I'll jump back into this. But I've got big questions about battles that we'll come to later.
0: Yeah. But it's... uh, Basically, I was just going to say, it's super interesting because... I think no matter how mixed the reviews were, and I honestly, you know, some people absolutely loved this. There were five-star reviews going around. But I think, to me, based on my limited impression, our review hits the nail on the head, which is, like, it's super interesting to see a game, you know, a game series this sort of stayed and, like, one note to some extent, trying something new. But also it just doesn't hit all the... It doesn't hit all the highs it needs to, and it feels like it could do with another game or another two games to get it into a shape and i do hope pokemon legends is actually a series now um but literally just before this uh recording i should say we found out that it's already outsold pokemon sword and shield it's already outsold pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl so it feels like i don't know whether it's going to keep that pace or whether everyone who's interested has bought it early you know that kind of thing it could be a, an early start but it feels like there's a real hunger for let's try something new with Pokemon. We've all grown up, you know, the kids can still have the mainline ones which are not going to go away. But, you know, it's like more gamey core people are going to go for this and it's working. So I I find that very interesting. Oh yeah,
2: definitely. Sorry, Matt. (laughs) I was just going to say, like, I like, I think it's a good start. Like you said, like, I hope we do get more games in this series because it feels like it's heading in the right direction even though it hasn't hit everything perfectly like first time.
0: It's, it's the closest I've come to playing a, a full Pokemon game for many years. Like, I start every single one, and then 10 hours in, I'm like, yeah, I remember this. But I am actually going to continue with this one, which is good.
1: So this partially answers a question. So when I was a kid, basically, I I was right at the crux of Pokemania, yeah. right? Like, it was just as the trading card game had come out. It was the anime. Um, I didn't actually have a Game Boy, but it was at the point where emulation was easy to, mm. to do. So um, I played, like, the the original gen and I played gen 2. And then kind of basically, like, within two years, i grown out of Pokemon. And in terms of the games, I'd moved into Final Fantasy by this point because Pokemon very much a gateway drug into JRPGs, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't until Sword and Shield that I went back and I found that Sword and Shield was too basic for my liking. Mm-hmm. And you talking about the idea that, like, the mainline series could be for the kids and Legends potentially be for a more core gamer sort of audience my question in terms of like the the battling is there actual new depth to battle because i've always when i was playing sword and shield i was kind of slightly miffed by there's obviously tactics there but being very limited to four attacks and four attacks that i've always been annoyed that it'll ask you to up you know you've got a new attack but you don't get to try it out To see if you want to replace one of the Mm. four attacks you've got and so i always felt very tactically limited in pokemon by finding things that i knew worked and keeping them solid on the pokemon so mm-hmm. to that point they have fixed that hey, now when yeah. you you still have four attacks but
0: now you don't forget old attacks you can Good. just swap in and out although i will say the menu system is really fucking bad for this and it's it's more trouble than it's often when i see new move pop up i'm just like ah oh, fuck it i can't be arsed i'm doing um, fine
2: What's the yeah <laughs> it's,
0: it's other, it, like uh, that applies to a lot of things in this game like they have not sorted out how you get to the fiddly bits well enough um to, the, to your wider point, I wouldn't say necessarily that there's more depth to battling, but there's just different stuff mm-hmm. to battling. So I don't know if you've seen they have this agile and strong style thing. right? Which is your Pokémon... I, I actually can't remember, because I'm in observant, whether this is just something that happens as you level up or whether it's use of, uh, use of the moves. But as you go along, your Pokémon will master their moves and get access to a, a second like modifier which is agile or strong so you can use it as it's meant to or you can switch to agile where it does like 10 less power by whatever the metric is but their speed is increased which in pokemon legends you can see the turn order coming up so you might be able to go like two you know you might get two turns in a row which obviously when you're losing 10 power but then doubling a 40 power thing you're obviously doing way better for it or you can go strong style which adds 10 power but makes
1: you slower so it's it's you know basic in the grand scheme of things but it's pretty pretty in depth for pokemon mm-hmm. stuff i mean that's um, the exact system that the league of legends rpg uses for its battle mm-hmm. system which is which is genuinely quite interesting and has a you know provided me with a certain amount of depth that meant that i was engaged rather than just using the same razor leaf attack over and over mm but again you're you're very
0: rarely fighting like a trainer you're fighting mostly wild pokemon Mm -hmm. so the the kind of frequency to which this is useful is kind of limited i would say right Uh, at least it has been in my you know obviously i'm early on um interestingly like emma are you with the post game are you planning on like pushing through because i know that rebecca our editor oh sorry our reviewer uh finished the game then did post game and it took like 64 hours which would imply that your post game is like 40 more hours of game um are you gonna are you gonna be going all the way through is that your is that your goal
2: I kind of want to the thing I usually do with Pokemon is I'll zoom through the like main part of the game and then when it gets to post game I'll usually do a little bit of it and then kind of another game will come out and I'll mm. fall off um with this one I've played sort of like maybe two hours so far of the post games, so I'm like quite early on in that but I don't know if I want to spend another 40 hours on it yeah like, it does seem big yeah and it does feel at this point as well like especially with those um, ranks because I've done like quite a few of the research tasks already it's like I'm having to actively think like okay I need to go do this now and like, I need to mm-hmm. capture this Pokemon for like the 25th time or whatever and I feel like I'm starting to get like a little bit just like tired of it so it's kind of, I might play for a bit and then kind of have a break, I think.
0: It is it's interesting how much they're like invoking the structure of Monster Hunter without kind of remembering that the core of Monster Hunter is like a battle system that's really, really well tuned and has been done you know, they've been doing it for twenty years. Whereas Pokemon's trying something new and they're going like, Hey, let's do that thing where you have to fight over and over and over again to do it. Mm. But the battle system isn't like fucking whacking people with swords and that's not as good <laughs> yeah. um it's kind it, like i think the fact that we've talked about it for this long is proof that it, this is a very interesting game i'm really happy it exists um, same it needs to look better and it needs to be a bit more as you say like we have we barely talked about the world the world is split into various zones uh they're like mini open worlds and there's like fuck all in them like they are just like pastures and Mm -hmm. they're not fully open either it's like there's some really tedious stuff of like to get from this area with uh, like a bunch of these pokemon to get to this area with a bunch of other pokemon you have to take like this one mountain pass that takes you all the way around this one map and then back on yourself and then up this hill and you're like dudes like I, i know later you get flying pokemon and stuff so that will be fine but at my point in this game i'm sort of sitting there being like this is fucking dull. Like, I'm going to not do these side quests until I'm given more freedom, because... Jesus. Um, so, like, things like that could could do with some work, but if there is, you know, I don't know, Pokemon Legends, Snorlax
1: later on, then I'm I'm going to be all in. I'm ready for it. Awesome. Um, if, I don't know if I'm entirely convinced it's for me, but I'm pleased that there's, like, actual steps to breaking out of that Pokemon mould and going yeah. somewhere new. Um, that was last week's big game that we only got around to playing this week. But this week's big game, quite literally big in terms of actual footprint and hours of potential gameplay, is Dying Light 2. Am I the only one that's played Dying Light 2 or is anybody else? Yeah, anything? I've got it installed, but I haven't been able to turn it on yet. Sure, I
2: haven't played it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm interested to hear what you think of it.
1: So I, uh, I haven't played like review amount of hours but i've got to a point where like i think i'm fairly confident about what i understand the game is um i like it um i understand like i think the kind of seven eight range does feel like eight maybe kind of like for if you really gel and seven kind of like maybe on the overall score but it is absolute classic Eurojank, which is something i've got <laughs> fondness for you love euro so Techland, Polish studio, very much feels like a game from the Polish studio community. It's got, like, elements of CD Projekt Red in there. It's got elements of, kind of, like, 11-bit studios and all of this. Um, basic sense of the world. Big open world that you explore via Mirror's Edge-style parkour that's full of zombies um, and is has... RPG ambitions of lots of big decisions and and dialogue trees and stuff like that while also having a lot of faux immersive sim elements to it mm-hmm. and so it's a game that very much has magpied from the AAA industry it's sort of looked at you can tell there's been a lot of looking at how ubisoft make their open worlds and going well we'll take this this and this about it Basically lifts the parkour system from Mirror's Edge and does does its own thing. The fighting feels a lot like stuff like um, Dark Messiah from Arcane, and I'm trying to think of other good first-person melee games. There's not. Is that many. just because you can kick people off ledges? You, it's, you can kick people off ledges, but you can also kick them into spikes, and I love kicking oh, people yeah. into spikes and getting an instant <laughs> kill on it. Some mad world shit. That's yeah, what I'm into. There's that. Um, lots of kind of. Um, the way that systems overlap. So basically what you've got is it's it's got a very um, Resident Evil sensibility to its world in that it's it's quite cheesy in the way that it does its zombie fiction. And these zombies are kind of tougher at night, but also those tough ones cannot come out in the day. So they're essentially vampire zombie hybrids, which means that its night and day system is very, very systemic in the way that it's linked to what you can do. So, for example, everybody in the city is infected, which I think is quite an interesting kind of B-movie subplot. Mm. So none of them can really go out at night, because at night, when there's no UV radiation, the virus kind of bubbles up inside you, so they all stay in houses at night. And also, like the zombies that have gone full board over-infected will come out into the streets at night. So suddenly you've got this whole idea of like a lot of the items that you want for crafting or for helping your own personal infection are inside buildings, which during the day are packed like sardine tins full of like really horrible zombies. Mm. So what you want to do is wait for them to come out into the streets at night when the area is easy to get into, and go in and take the stuff that you want. Oh, that's cool. I like that. But when you go out at night your infection starts to bubble up, so you've only got about five minutes that you could stay out in the dark before you start basically dying. So it creates this wonderful kind of sense of frantic action where you find a place during the day and you're like, I can't go in there because it's jam-packed full of evil, horrible things. So you come back at night, but when you go in, there are still like potted amounts of zombies in there. Mostly sort of hunched over in this horrible sleeping pose. And so you really want to stealth your way through the building. But you're on a timer. So stealth becomes difficult because you want to rush in, you want to smash and grab and run away. So the way its systems kind of overlap and interlink, I mean, there's all of these kind of push and pull mechanics that I really, really like. But it's got that Eurojank element to it where kind of like the parkour for the most part feels really really good but there are like as most climbing systems have tiny little hang-ups that feel like oh i didn't quite mean to do that and now i've fallen to my death but that means that the parkour whereas assassin's creed has got to the point where it's very automated which i think makes sense for assassin's creed like you should feel like you're fluid and moving the parkour in dying light is much more of a puzzle like it is in mirror's edge it's finding like If I don't judge this jump correctly, it means death or at least falling into a street full of zombies that are going to maul me to death. And lots of kind of elements like that. Um, The zombie fighting is very different to the human fighting. Um, Humans fight very, very slow, but it's got this mad parkour system that's linked into the fighting where you can dodge an attack and then jump on a guy and use him as a leap pad to jump onto another guy and knock them out. So all of the way that it kind of overlaps its ideas to create this kind of weird, cohesive whole that almost feels like there's too much in it. But by having so much, I kind of feel that every avenue you turn down kind of presents you with this massive puzzle. It's like, here is a crashed convoy that's got drugs in it that will mean that if you get those drugs, you can stay out at night for longer. Mm. but it's full of zombies and it's like you look around like well I could parkour it and I could if I play it in co-op maybe I can get someone to run Benny Hill style around these zombies and keep them away while I lockpick because it's got a very in-depth mm. like, lockpicking like Elder Scrollsy style thing but they're difficult to pick these miniature convoys so it's like am I going to get someone to distract and do that? Am I playing on my own? Do I need to use the environment? Do I need to kick people into spikes, pick up, uh, like, propane cans and set them on fire and hurl them in. Lots of this kind of very physical, sort of, like, puzzly elements to it that I really like. I am worried that maybe it won't hold steam through what is... I'm not going to be playing this game for 500 hours, quite clearly. It's literally, it's almost certainly a 30-hour campaign with 500 hours of like collecting everything. But there's something about how kind of oddly like cheesy the story is combined with this interesting overlapping of systems in a game that has ambition. And I can clearly see where that ambition lies and maybe it doesn't hit the highs that it wants to be, but there is something about it that I find quite engaging to play. I like I can tell it's Eurojank just by how long it took you
0: to explain some of those systems mm-hmm. overlapping. Yeah. Like it is that classic, the the one uh, the one that really sticks in my head from the old days. Do you remember I divine Cybermancy? <laughs> And it had a hacking system where you could hack anything, but anything could also hack Mm -hmm. you. And you're just sitting there like, I tried like 20 minutes of that game and went, no fucking way. The interface in that
1: game is already (laughs) dreadful to do any of that in and beyond that, yeah. It also had, I've definitely said this
0: on here before, but it really sticks on my head. It had the funniest opening three quests I've ever seen, which were like, collect four things, uh, what was it? It was like, collect four things, go here. Those were the first two quests. And the third was like, destroy 20 metastronomic force creatures. And I was like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on in this game? Who knows what's happening? That was fun. Um, Like, I'm quite interested in this. Like, Dying Light never got me, but I know people who were absolutely Mm -hmm. obsessed with it. Me too. And it's like, it's quite a bizarre, like, phenomenon to have an open world game that people played for actual years Mm -hmm. and like like a narrative open world game and uh, I'm super intrigued by that and when I played it I was like yeah I just don't think getting around here is is my bag and this one definitely looks like it's doing a bit more to let you get around and like definitely feels like something where I'm not necessarily going to play the story all the way through but I might get 20 good hours of like running and jumping and kicking Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of fine with that these days like if they can give me Something towards the open world Mirror's Edge that I actually wanted, rather than Catalyst that we got. Then I'm
1: kind of fine with that. I would just like it to look a bit more shiny. Yeah, That's all. this doesn't actually look. I can remember seeing this at E3 2019 and it looking amazing in their mm. things. And again, I think this is a common thing in like AAA Polish development that they do overreach a little bit in their uh, first kind of public demos. But it's it's a it's a pretty like it's got a good city horizon you unfortunately it starts you like out in the forest which i think is mm-hmm. a really bad place to start you in a parkour game
0: yeah
1: um but the moment you do get in there and it does that whole thing of like the more you do parkour the more it gives you like how the elder scrolls levels up like the more you do something the more points you get to invest in that and i've got to the point where kind of like you can jump off buildings and roll as you hit the floor so you mm-hmm. take less fall damage um and also it does this thing where I think it really wants to be the Witcher in the way that it gives you big decisions that are going to change the city. And so far, I haven't felt like massive changes, but what it will mm. do is kind of like, if you side with one faction, they'll be like, well, there are going to be now more like trampolines around the city that when you jump off buildings, <laughs> you can catapult yourself back <laughs> up. It's like, well, yes, I, I'm going to take that. You've
0: done you've done good by the trampoline boys today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that Plug kind of out. like... Um, It doesn't feel like you completely change, like, the landscape of the city, but kind of doing these things that at least have a certain amount of impact. Like, it doesn't feel like great narrative change, but it feels like it at least gives you cool toys to play around with. And Mm. trampoline boys, yes, I'll join the trampoline troop. That's so funny. (laughs)
0: Johnny's bouncing boys. (laughs) I love that faction. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of i'm really intrigued by this one it's it's come out at a weird time as well like i'm really interested to see how well it i'm sure it will do well i think it's got like three times the concurrence that dying light ever had Mm. already so i'm sure it'll do well And it feels like something I could drop into in two years, and there'll be twice as much stuff in it
1: anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Dying Light, they did the following, right, which was this massive kind of enhanced version of it with an Mm. expansion pack and stuff like that. I think Tetland are pretty good by sticking by kind of the games that they make and trying to do it. It's just that obviously a lot of their ideas are literally just their CEO saw something that he really liked and insists that all his staff get to work on replicating that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Wait, and we've seen reports about what that does to people's yes, working yes. practices um, um, so obviously yeah. uh, approach uh your purchase however you feel about that side of things mm-hmm. um it's also kind of like the, when it does stealth and horror it does stealth and horror pretty good which i'll say so if you're looking for spooky far cry which is what what i have been looking for because i got a bit bored by far cry even though mm-hmm. i somehow finished that game I don't um, know how you did that no, I mean, didn't it, manage that literally <laughs> co-op if it hadn't been for me and my partner just playing all the way through like I'd have never got there Yeah. Um, but speaking of spooks Joe <laughs> Archive yeah. 81, this looks spooky it, it, I mean it kind of is it's more fun than spooky okay.
0: but it looks spooky mm-hmm. um, Archive 81, I've talked to a few people about it and a lot of people came back with oh I watched that trailer and it looked like absolute shit I personally watched that trailer, and I loved it. Um, It is a show based on a podcast, actually, um, which I've listened to a little bit, and it's actually quite different. It's interesting. I might go back to it. Um, But it's uh, a guy called Dan who is an expert in repairing tape. I don't know why. He's just really good at repairing tape, and he's got a job in doing that. And a mysterious man gets in touch and says, there was this burned-down building, um, and we recovered these tapes. And we want you to repair them. And if you do it, we'll give you $100,000. Uh, and so as soon as he says that, you're like, bad guy. Uh, and then, <laughs> And he also says, the thing is, these tapes are really badly damaged. So we can't transport them anywhere. So you have to come out to our fucking bunker in the mountain woods in the Catskills. And you have to live there alone and repair all these tapes there. You're like, cool, bad guy, bad, spooky place. I love it. Um, and so what it amounts to is every episode Dan is fixing one of these tapes and they are they've all been recorded by a lady called Melody Pendress who went and tried to do a university project in a building, like a like an oral history of an apartment building in New York in nineteen ninety four. And so you've got these dual narratives of Dan's fixing these tapes and obviously spooky stuff starts happening and Melody's filming these tapes and spooky stuff is happening in this apartment building. And then as you would expect these two things start to converge. Um but and I'm not going to go further with obviously with how I explain how those things converge. But it starts doing some really unexpected story stuff with that with that storyline. Like it's not as simple as like, they are connected by circumstance. Like, it does some fun stuff. Um, And what starts off as effectively, like, oh, this is going to be a horror show, and I I all kind of went in going, like, oh, this might even be kind of an anthology show in some way, is one big arc that is way more, like, conspiracy thriller than horror. Okay. As it goes on. And I... I can totally understand if people go into go into this and come out going that was kind of silly. I just bought into it and really enjoyed myself. Like it's it's got just enough spooks but not like jump scary stuff which I'm not super into. Like there's a couple of bits but nothing too egregious. And what it's actually got is just like a really fun sense of like escalating madness. Like the the further you go the further they both go down these rabbit holes that they're in the more bizarre this gets. And it goes to places within that that I I did not think it was going to be in the first place. Um, It leaves itself incredibly open for a second series, and I'm actually really happy that it did, um, because I think wrapping it up here, unlike most stories like this, wrapping up here would have kind of led to this story feeling a bit one note like you kind of got to the end and then it stopped whereas this kind of does this this big like flip on how ev- how you've seen everything and then leaves the characters in really interesting places and you're like oh shit okay right there's quite a lot more here um i just had a really good time with it i just thought it was like sort of rollicking fun and i don't think it's gonna like win awards and blow people away but it's one of the it, i feel this i talked about this last year and i actually started watching it again it's the same way i felt about snowpiercer and still mm-hmm. do having watched the start of the third series like it's a show that i can kind of tell is bad in places but the story is so propulsive and silly and like the characters are chewing so much scenery in, t- in places that i'm just like i don't care like this is proper like old entertainment like this is just someone going like you just we're just going all
1: right just follow us or fuck off and i'm fine with that i don't need prestige tv all the time i mean as someone who's watched every single episode of arrow i I understand that (laughs) yeah like uh yeah it's just it's just good fun man there's
0: some fun stuff in here and there's some good ideas and it's the kind of thing where when you finish i watched it all with anna and all the way through, it's that it's one of those shows where you're just talking through it, like, oh, is this, like, oh, is that? And, like, having those discussions. It's one of those ones that you want to share with people. And I think that's really fun. Um, like, I it, it kind of came out at a weird time in as much as Yellow Jackets did a similar thing, but is way more mm-hmm. Um And I don't think it's as good as Yellow Jackets, but I do think there's a lot of fun to be had with it if you just buy it. Um, there's, you know, there's some ripe
1: acting here and there, but... I don't really care. It's just it's just nice. No, it's um yeah, I had a great time with it. Mm-hmm. This on your radar, Emma? saw
2: I hadn't actually heard of it, so I'm like really interested in it now. I feel like you've sold it to me. Um Good. Which like streaming service is it on? It's
0: Netflix. Oh, um, sweet.
2: Okay, great. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's an it's an easy one to find. It's very easy to binge. Um oh, it's just it's good fun. And there's some fun, like again. Everyone's doing 90s stuff at the moment, but there's some fun 90s detail in there. There's one particular thing in the final episode, which is a 90s thing I'd never even heard of, but somehow is the most 90s thing I've ever seen.
1: Um, <laughs> it's good. Once you get there, we'll talk about it. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I've definitely been looking to, to watch that, so we'll get around to it. Another spooky thing that I've seen, I actually went, and see, I went to see Scream during oh. the week off. So I've seen Scream, also known Scream Five, in in the mm-hmm. circles. Um, the circles. <laughs> this is for anyone who doesn't know. This is the fifth Scream movie. It is not directed by Wes Craven for the reasons of Wes Craven no longer being on this plane of existence anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a shame. Um, but it has been like ten or eleven years since Scream Four. Um, that's it. Fucking hell. Yeah, it's a long time. So I only started watching Scream about eight weeks ago i'd never seen any of them so i've watched i watched scream one to four through uh in a block um each weekend uh really liked scream one did not like scream two or three really liked four so was wondering what this would be like i think this massively benefits like what scream four did from having a long time between the last scream film and this new Mm -hmm. one because a lot of new cinema trends have happened so scream obviously while it is a kind of horror slasher film has a lot of kind of tongue-in-cheek comedy that obviously revolves around satirizing kind of horror trends and horror ideas particularly Mm -hmm. you know in the realm of horror cinema and this one from the opening bat is very much about poking fun at the idea of elevated horror which is the trend of the last kind of 10 years um so there lots of mentions of stuff like the babadook and the witch and that kind of stuff um which is interesting because this very much isn't elevated horror this is a straight through through and through slasher that mm. very much hinge arguably too much hinges on the idea of just kind of like using a lot of the ideas from the original scream but whereas the original screen was very much looking at stuff like Halloween and stuff like that as its kind of base point. The stuff that it tips on is actually outside of the realm of the specific films themselves. It's actually looking at toxic fandom, which I find is quite an interesting angle for it. So it's about these people that have become obsessed with the idea of the the requel as in like the reboot slash sequel mm. so you know how halloween kind of like it got rid of all of the halloween's between and it kind of reboots the series but did so with a sequel that followed immediately well not immediately on but is following the events of the first yeah. film and mm-hmm. forgets anything else it basically does that which so, is why it's called scream yeah like, yeah that's exactly. really fun. Um, so very much ignores the fact there have been any other screen films since the first one, and leans very heavily on the events of that it 's obviously as all of these films are are set in Woodsboro um, and uses the same literal houses from that uh, from that film in certain segments um, but literally name drops basically Ryan Johnson like <laughs> about the idea of like toxic fandoms hating what people did to their childhood and Mm. motivations are built out of the idea of like how dare you because for anybody that doesn't know within the scream franchise there is a set of movies called stab which are films based on what happened in the events of scream and the idea is, is that within the stab franchise it has become taken over with this idea of like going away from what the true fans believe Stab should be about by trying to be too elevated and too different, very much poking fun at the people that didn't like the Last Jedi because they thought Ryan Johnson ruins Star Wars, and so that's really fun. It's it clashes that with it's a much more grisly scream film like like Four was. It kind of leans closer into actually being a proper slasher rather than when you get the knife stabs you don't hear the like that eh, eh, and there's mm. none of the kind of theatricalness there it is very bloody and gory but still like at the level where it's still quite a fun film rather than a scary film mm. um make some good decisions for the franchise i think it introduces largely a new cla- uh, a new cast of characters and keeps the legendary kind of cast in the peripheries and only uses them when they need so Sydney's kind of a minor character in the long run in this film, rather than the main obsessive character that like the series is obsessed with for four films. Mm. Um, I'm now... It, I think it finishes kind of in the perfect way, and I think they've immediately ruined it by uh, launching a new... They're going to do Scream 6 now. It felt to me as if Scream works when you've got like a decade's worth of cinema change that you can use as your basis... Mm. I'm not entirely sure where you go with this because there'll only be two years between this and the next one. And it's almost like it's change. done too it's like done too well. Like yeah. it's now it's now a corporate thing as opposed to a
0: narrative thing.
1: Which felt to me exactly what Scream you know, obviously I didn't watch Scream when they were contemporary, but having watched Scream One and Two pretty much back to back, you could very much see that there was less than a year of development time between mm. those films and felt like it was just jumping on the idea that like Scream is popular, let's do Scream again. And yes, at that time there was obviously decades worth of um, horror cinema to work with as your satire material. There's not... So the the beauty of Scream 4 and 5 having like 10 years or more between their previous films is that so much changed in horror cinema. I don't know what you go with next. I do hope they bring this cast back. Like, that would be the right thing to do rather than Mm. focusing so much on that legacy cast. But... What we got here, I think, is is a damn good stab. Oh dear. Nice I really didn't mean that. <laughs> Liar. Hey, that was go. lovely. Um
2: Have
0: have you watched um do you watch Inside Number Nine?
1: Yes. Love it. Yeah. Have you
0: seen you know the episode Simon says, which is mm-hmm. essentially a similar vibe, which is basically a dude who's essentially written Game of Thrones and written a really bad finale. Yeah. Um gets blackmailed by a fan into Writing a new finale, um, and it's got a very similar like sounding vibe of toxic fandom taking control, mm-hmm. and whether that's good or bad, or how you would how you would kind of uh, manage that as someone involved. And it like I, if, if you're into that scream idea, that's well well worth watching. I think that's season six. Um, it's really good. It's mm-hmm. proper fun.
1: Either of you, are you any of you big <clears throat> scream fans?
2: I was Spring. gonna say actually, sorry. <laughs> um, no, it's fine. Go. Yeah. I was gonna say I've watched the first one mm-hmm. like a long time ago. I was gonna ask like, do you think it's worth me still watching two, three, four before checking so, out this one?
1: You don't have to like very much because of that requel idea. This one only relies on knowledge from the first one. There's like the odd line or two that talks about things that have happened in the series, but you really don't need to. It's designed to be watched as its own thing. I would you can do that with four and i really like four because four has like what's some of my favorite kind of twists of that of those films um so i'd watch that one two and three i genuinely think are duffers. i know there's a lot of love for two out there but it doesn't work for me at all but yeah if you want to head over to a cinema you can do so without any problems with that emma sweet
0: scream was the first well, it's either the first or second 18 i watched mm. i don't know which What i don't know what the order was we watched blade and scream in one night because we were the coolest children in the world <laughs> um, like we went to that friend's house who has the mum that doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. and she oh, rented yeah. both of them for us and it was i wasn't like I've, I've never been like full horror person and i definitely wasn't at that point and i did spend a lot of scream like pretending to be a lot braver than i was <laughs> i remember mm-hmm. that but then blade was great so i was fine with that mm-hmm. um yeah, like, that's it. I think Scream's 1 is the only one I've ever watched, but I am interested in this, because I do like that idea of, like, how do you do the meta-requel at the same time as actually doing a requel? Yeah. Like, that's that's a
1: fun thing. Mm-hmm. It's um, good fun. i into it. Also good fun, now I've only seen the trailers for this, but it's definitely up my alley, is Murderville, a show that you've yes. been watching, Joe. Yeah, I
0: watched three episodes last night. Uh, it came out yesterday as we record. Uh, I don't have much to say about this, other than, like, if you re- i saw a very sniffy guardian review about this that was basically it's not the uk original and it literally has a i I don't want it like actually you know what I'm not going to I'm not going to have a go at someone else's review it's just not my opinion about this show which is essentially this is people having an absolutely lovely time and it being really funny like so the the if you as I got told thirty thousand times on Twitter last night when I recommended this, the UK original is Murder in Successville, which is a show in which every week is a detective drama, uh, in a world of celebrities, although they're all impressions of those celebrities, but each week there is one person, usually a sort of non comedian, who is brought in and not given the script and they have to like be part of the investigation into a murder, but they don't know what uh, they don't know what's gonna happen. Um this sort of streamlines that idea. It's Will Arnett plays a detective called Terry Seattle, who is has a very big opinion of himself, but is actually quite bad at it, um, has an amazing moustache, and um, and basically brings in a celebrity and they solve a murder. So they get they strip away the kind of it's-in-a-world-of-celebrity-impressions thing. It's just... It's a police procedural where one person doesn't know what's going to happen in the police procedural. And they've got, like, a mixture of people... The three I've watched are Conan O'Brien, who is obviously good at improv and that kind of thing, so he's just straight-up funny. The American footballer and bizarre man Marshawn Lynch, who is extremely good at it. Like, he really gets into this. At one point, he, like, straight-up tackles a guy. Uh, It's fucking brilliant. (laughs) And the third one is Kimmel Nanjiani, uh, who is my favourite because he's the best at, like... the best I've seen at playing with Will Arnett's character. Like, there's a bit. Will Arnett's role in this is to advance the story and also put them in uncomfortable situations. So, like, in two of the three episodes I've seen, he gives someone an earpiece and feeds them lines. And obviously, those lines are always really stupid and make them do ridiculous things. In the Kumel Nanjiani one, he keeps pushing him to do ridiculous shit. Um, and at one bit, I think he's trying to, like... I can't remember the exact context, but he's trying to get... Uh, on, Anjiani to like speak how Terry Seattle would speak and so Kumail says no you do that for me uh, and you've got to pretend to be Pakistani and so and so you get this moment of like Will Arnett like freezing and not knowing how to deal with it and then like those two like sparring with each other becomes sort of central to the episode and like it's just really good fun. Like they keep in them laughing. Like corpsing is is allowed. Like Will Arnett is regularly like covering his mouth to like sh- to, to, to not allow you to see that he's pissing himself at what's happening. And like it's just very, it's just nice. Like it's just nice to watch people having a lovely time. Like I'm I'm super into that at the moment. I've just finished like Mayor of East Town, Yellow Jackets, White Lotus. Like all these things that are like fun in places, but ultimately are about quite heavy shit. And I've watched this and Archive 81 in short succession and just like, this is just people having a good old time, doing some stupid shit. Um, it's how I'm feeling about going, I'm gonna see Jackass as soon as I can. It's exactly the same way I feel about that, where I'm just like, everyone's just just having a having an alright time and laughing and I'm fine <laughs> with that. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm super into this. I really hope this is one of those things where Netflix kind of It doesn't look expensive. I think they'll be able to, like, rattle these out if they need to, and I would love to see this become, like, one of their kind of long-running things, because I also just love Will Arnett. Like, he's Mm -hmm. fucking amazing. It doesn't get enough starring stuff. Um, So, yeah, it's great. I had a lovely time.
1: In terms of its presentation, is it filmed like it's, like, a police procedural? Does it look like it's trying to be CSI? It's kind of half and half, yeah. It's got, Mm -hmm. like, the shots are all composed that way, and the scenes
0: are presented that way. But obviously, the level of improv means that those that kind of breaks occasionally because they have to focus on stuff they weren't ready to focus on. There's one bit I'm like, I'll spoil one joke just because I think it's really smart. Like, the way they play with not, it's not just put someone in a police procedural, it's like, it's a police procedural where stuff keeps going wrong. And so, there's one bit in the Marshawn Lynch episode that I think is fucking brilliant. They walk into a room and he's like, Right, we're going to watch this interview, and it's a two way mirror, so he's not going to know we're here. And then someone comes in and says, like, "Oh, I'm really sorry the two-way mirror broke." so and will Arnett's suddenly like, "What?" And he like puts his hand through where the wind the the mirror should be and he you suddenly realize there is just nothing there and so for the rest of the scene, the the investigator and the uh and the interviewee come in. And they're having him and Marshawn Lynch are having to like mirror their movements as if they're the mirror. It's just such a stupid joke, and it really made me laugh. Like it, it just—it kind of takes those situations and just pushes them in a really stupid comedy direction every time. It's, it's properly fun. It's, it's, it's great.
1: Super, right? Yeah. It's time to move on to the endless search. <laughs> Inside, it's the UK
2: IGN crew. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and, the ones and two. We got the games gonna play for you inside. I have got a question for you. What at the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and the one's and two. We got the games gonna play for you inside. I have got a question for you. Is it Endless search.
1: Right, we have got a lovely simple endless search this week that's come in from Oliver. I'm sorry, Oliver, if I butcher your surname. Is it Blamires, I think it but is? I'm really sorry if that's not it. But this is uh, from a little bit of feedback. And he says, Hi, UK IGN crew. Here's a game I came up with called Goosebumps, which might make a good, quick and endless search. Originally, it was created as a, a drinking game while I was at uni, but it found new life during lockdown as part of the Zoom quizzes. It's a quick and simple game, which takes advantage of the fact that the Goosebumps books by Harrell Stein mostly have very stupid titles. Okay. Basically, Oliver, and I thought this would nicely link into the fact that we've covered three spooky things this week, Mm -hmm. has given me a list of 31 different Goosebumps titles, of which about half of them is bullshit that he's invented.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Great.
1: So it's just a very simple (laughs) true or false, which I guess, Emma, like, you're a little bit younger than me. Was Goosebumps a thing during uh, your childhood?
2: It was. I love Goosebumps. Ah, I read a lot of the books, so I'm hoping that I've got a good memory and I can actually remember which ones <laughs> of these are real.
1: <laughs> Joe, were you a Goosebumps kid? I liked
0: Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, incredibly into Goosebumps. But,
1: yeah, I'm, cool. I'm, 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 I'm into it enough. Nice. Right, first one. Say cheese and die. True true that was literally the one i was about to spoil (laughs) yeah that's
2: the one i was thinking of. like
1: Uh, right let me uh i'm gonna have to create a a a doc on i just to run this excuse me i have uh, messed up on my plotting right so so that's a joe point and an emma point right next one monsters among us
2: I'm gonna say false.
1: I'm going false. That sounds too uh, legit as a horror tale. That's true.
2: Oh, you know, what? points to
1: both. No, 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 no. That's a fake one. So you. you oh, are, I see. Right, you, oh, you, okay. you, you speak the truth. That's so a point to each again. Hey. Right. Crab, which is spelled in capitals with not one but three exclamation points. Wait, what was it? Grab, crab, as <laughs> in crab.
2: Okay, uh, I'm going to go false.
0: Yeah, it's, it's usually punny, isn't it? I'm going to go false.
1: They are false. Crab. I love that <laughs> Piano lessons can be murder. That feels true.
2: It does. That feels. That feels like a goosebumps title. I'm going to say true.
1: It is. It is a
2: real one. We're doing okay. well. Okay.
1: Get my uncle out of my attic.
2: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> That's gotta be false. false.
1: <laughs> it is, it is false. I I would read that though.
2: I oh, would I'd hundred totally. percent read that.
1: <laughs> Take
0: a rake.
2: False.
0: False. I, I know I I do want to introduce a you know, a different answer at some mm. point,
1: but I just don't see it. Yeah, it is it is a fake one. Revenge of the lawnmo sorry, Revenge of the lawn gnomes. I'm going to say true for that one. It's true, true one. yeah. It is. It's just just 100 Goosebumps fiends. Yeah, 100% <laughs> uh success right here. Curse of the Mummy 2: Meet Daddy's New Girlfriend.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: I must say, I, think... I really like the fact that Goosebumps books just used to use, like, number two as a sequel. What book series uses two as a sequel? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say false. I think Curse of the Mummy was one. I don't That's think it. that was the title of
0: it. Screw it. I'm going to say true. Let's, let's have the differentiator. That it's a fake one. Yeah, damn it. I love that Oliver's really into the family member <laughs>
1: stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right, next one. The bus that couldn't slow down. False. That's false. That's a isn't that a Simpsons joke or something? It might be. I'm trying to think. Is there a speed like um, yeah. knockoff in The Simpsons? Um it is it is false. It is a Simpsons joke. The beast from the East.
2: False.
1: I'm gonna say true. Uh it is true, Joe. Yes. Uh it came. From the internet, false. Mm. That's.
0: I mean, it's the right time for internet fear. I'm still gonna. I'm gonna say false. It's it's true. It's a real one. But... Oh wow. <laughs>
1: what what is it? I want to see it. <laughs> it came from the internet. I'm gonna. Look. Like it came. The cover appears to be. Oh. A weird, it's like an octopus, octopus with a nineteen nineties monitor. Oh, that's a that's a uh, choose your own adventure one. I love mm. those. Right, next one: judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> false.
2: Uh, I'm going to say true.
1: It's false. Just yes. not true. Doctor Maniac versus. Robbie Schwartz.
2: <laughs> false. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm going to say false. It's real. Oh what? my God. It's gosh. a real one.
2: I'm Dr. glad Maniac that's real actually. Robbie
0: Schwartz. <laughs> Let's have a look. Oh my God. Dr.
1: Maniac is frightening. <laughs> I don't like the look of him. Right, next one. Live and let die. What? What? did R.L. Stein brazenly copy a James (laughs) Bond title false I feel I'm going to say false it is false good sing a song for Stinky Pete
2: (laughs) I want that to be true I'm going to say true
1: I'm going to say false Uh, Joe you get the point it is false Sing a song for Stinky Pete. (laughs) Uh, Wait, is Stinky Pete not from Toy Story (laughs) Two? He He definitely is. Is the Prospector?
0: Yeah,
1: right. Grandma's looking hairy. Mm, Is this where the family member
0: thing comes to fruition? Could be. I'm going to say true.
2: I'm going to say false.
1: Emma, you get the point. Damn it! I thought it was going to be a werewolf thing. Slappy New Year. That's true.
2: True. Slappy's true. one of his,
1: that little chucky guy, isn't he? He is the, the ventriloquist dummy. The if you want to know how fucking weird I was as a child, I was obsessed with Slappy. I can remember me and my mum walking around town trying to find a place that sold ventriloquist dummies. Oh my God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh,
1: you dressed in a little suit. <laughs> <laughs> right, say cheese and die again, exclamation point.
2: I think that's That's, true. That's
1: true. It is. That is a real one. Uh, What have we got now? Things that go stab in the night. True. False. It is false, Joe.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going for the stabbing elements in his horror, is he? No. Except, say Cheese and Die had the fucking horrible bit where someone got a nail through their foot, which really stuck (laughs) in my head. I hated that.
1: Right. Go eat worms. That's true True It is true uh, How I Got My Shrunken Head <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's actually true
2: I'm going to go false
1: Emma, it's a real book No it's a real book. <laughs> How yeah.
0: I Got My Shrunken <laughs> Head Imagine R.L. Stein in bed Just shooting bolt upright
1: I've got it, the next one
2: <laughs> This is the title
1: Right, next one. Slicer Mm, X-Glam. No, that sounds like Garth Mm Marenghi. It is is a false one. Right, next one. Secret Agent Grandma. False.
2: Yeah, that doesn't sound like it would fit. It doesn't, does it?
0: But it's real. Also, What? what... Also, Slicer is a Garth Marenghi (laughs) book. Is it?
1: (laughs) I think. Well, he was never one for subtext, was he? No. My mum's dating a Frankenstein.
2: I'm going to go true, you know.
1: A Frankenstein. I'm saying no. (laughs) Joe gets the point. (laughs) A Frankenstein. Come on. Paint your wagon with blood.
2: False
1: false i think false is the correct answer shop till you drop dead interesting
2: true
1: i'm still i'm gonna go false joe it's a real one is it Mm -hmm. tickle or treat
2: (laughs) tickle Uh, false. Is this another
0: secret
1: agent grandma situation? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, I'm still going false. Emma,
2: yeah, false.
1: False. Yeah, it is a bad one. Right, <laughs> <laughs> zapped in space. Zapped in space. space. I'm going true.
2: Yeah, I think true. I think it could fit. It I think is it could work.
1: Right, two two left to go. The knight okay. in screaming armour.
2: <laughs> false.
1: Uh, I'm going to say true. It is, it's a real one.
2: Wow. Okay.
1: I like it. And the big finale, and that's why you don't chauffeur a leprechaun. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm saying False. false. It is false. Point H.
0: I think what we've discovered is that R.L. Stein uh, has a very recognisable style, but also that <laughs> "Get Uncle Out of My Attic" or
1: whatever it is <laughs> should have been one of his books.
2: Definitely.
1: Right, Joe wins by five points. Oh. But considering the amount that was there, we went through thirty of them. There's, uh, I think, I think that's an admirable effort from self-confessed goosebumps fan as child, Emma. Um I'm very game, happy
0: Joe. with the good game. Uh, good game, yeah. I'm very happy with uh a win in the Goosebumps world. I'd be what? up for more of that type of game, making taking a category and making stuff up. Yeah. I don't know how easy it is beyond
1: goosebumps. Yeah, Goose, but, goosebumps uh, is kind of easy. I can remember doing one for like a website ages ago which was just like shit razor products versus like <laughs> shit I'd made up because it's so easy to make up computer hardware that actually sounds legit. I bet you could do one for, like, fighting fantasy or those old choose-your-own-adventure books, Mm -hmm. like Castle of Doom and shit like that. Yeah. I'd be up for that. Right. Let's spin it round to some feedback. Emma, if you want to start us off.
2: Okay. So our first piece is from Elliot Spirit. Elliot says, hey, folks, your chat about the new Star Wars games got me thinking. What about a Boba Fett game by the Hitman team? Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I feel as well. Uh, lush, interactive biomes, tons of people and objects to interact with, opportunities for creativity, and of course, hilarious outcomes. Keen to know who you'd love to see pull off a project like this. And yes, I know you kind of did the feature like this before. Sorry. Stay well, respect the sea, and P.S. Wagon wheels in the lunchbox was my staple for so many years. I actively started to dislike them.
0: <laughs> mm, I can see that with a wagon wheel. Mm-hmm. Um. I think, I mean, here's my here's my stipulation: If you make a Boba Fett game, fucking Tamura Morrison is not allowed to be in it, and I want to <laughs> see him ever play Boba <laughs> Fett again. I'm done with that. Um, and I want people to apologize for wanting him to be Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, yeah, I can't really think of a better fit than Hitman. You want that? You want that feeling of openness, but. Um, bespokeness mm-hmm. for that kind of game i think like that was always the promise of prey 2 the original
1: Prey Two. i was that literally never came about out. to say this that yeah. kind of like um i think I, I i would agree that i would want either a mandalorian game or a bounty hunter game that has no relation to mandalorians something that doesn't mean that i'm going to play boba fett because i'm kind of disappointed on the canon area of boba fett these days but you want something you want the ideas that the hitman team make but and you know i say this as thinking i think hitman is a masterpiece the trilogy but it's too static and too slow for Mm. um for a star wars game so you want all of those ideas where you can observe and take advantage of things that are happening in the world but also having the the kinetic kind of energy that star wars has being able to actually use your jetpack if you are playing as a mandalorian in that sort of aspect which i think was the promise of prey 2 mm. yeah like oh man i really meant was that
0: human head who yeah. were making that mm-hmm. i would love that game to have emerged um,
1: that game was mad considering what the original prey was like yeah, such a absurd. left turn all of the,
0: the whole you know prey cancelled or real <laughs> series <laughs> makes absolutely no sense as a as a set of things um yeah. I, that's it. I think you just i think you need you need solid action, but you also need like a world that can, that is compact enough to react to you, essentially, I think. Like set it on a space station. Again, that's just pray two. I'm just copying Prey Two. <laughs> Boba Fett and Prey Two. See you later.
2: Yeah. Um, sounds good.
1: <laughs> I'm up for that. Have you got a dream Star Wars game, Emma?
2: I think I would love to play as a Mandalorian, but I think mm-hmm. that's a really good like I'd love to use the jetpack and stuff, I think yeah having it set like you said on a space station where it's like you've got an area that's like open enough for you to actually like use all your abilities and like test some stuff out but it's still like closed enough where you actually have like a clear route that you've got to take through it and like something that you actually focus on um mm. i think that would be really cool
1: i like the idea if you're going to play as a mandalorian that you can use grogu as like a as a distraction just like go over there and talk to that thing and be cute while that i go and sweet. do this horrible yeah. thing
2: <laughs> that would be really cool
1: Honestly, like, the I wouldn't mind seeing. Uh,
0: this sounds mad, but the structure of some of the later Lego games, where mm-hmm. it's like hub and then areas that you go to from hub. Like, if you just had like Slave One flying through space as your hub, or what's it called now? It's got the a different fire spray gunship. Fire spray gunship flying through space um, as your hub, and you could upgrade it and do stuff in there, and like take bounties. You know like your bounty targets are in there, and then you have various different like compact zones around that like I think you could that strikes me as more doable than a than an open world bounty mm-hmm. game in that way anyway. I, I also like it. the
1: idea that if you've got like your 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 gunship or like your razor quest that you can. Almost have bounties like Pokemon, where you know how kind of in the first series of The Mandalorian he's got them in the Carbonite in like a. Yeah, exactly. A rack. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I'd love like that. if you, just,
0: you cool. have a bunch of them. Um, Joe? Yes. This is from Mike Tapia, who says uh, Mike Tapia is responding to like everything we've talked about for the last few weeks. So here we go. Hey there, audio pals. I'm firing on all the feedback cylinders a bit this week. I've got a suggestion as to what game franchise Lovable Muscle Man The Rock might be about to bring to the big screen. I'm so into this. Starring as Professor Leighton, The Rock will be jaunting around a Parisian-esque England with his assistant, Luke, played by Tom Holland, probably, and his daughter, Catrielle, Lily James, obvs, solving riddles, puzzles, and saving the Queen from having her corgi stolen, or something similarly twee and lacking in any real peril. His top hat would be ridiculous. I'm into this idea. I will say that The Rock's head is not enough of a tube, To play Professor Layton in my my brain Professor Layton famously Has a tube for a head And as such can only be correctly played By Cumberbatch Also (laughs) If he was going down the Zelda route As mentioned last week Surely he'd have to play the lead Goron They literally eat rocks It writes itself He would be an amazing King Goron guy Um, A few classic lunchbox fillers That I haven't mentioned yet What fucking podcast we make The Kinder Sponge Milk
1: Slice no idea what a king I've kinder tried sponge tried milk slice is i'm gonna what? guess if you have the nesquick sponge milks like the what they're like no. two little layers of sponge cake with like chocolate mousse through the middle and they do oh. a milky bar version of it as well so i'm guessing it's kind of like, like that. a flat uh mini roll yeah sort of
0: mm. okay um he says that's a total goat Uh, The small plastic Pringles cases For rationing the big tube into (laughs) That's really That's such a (laughs) specific memory Of the old days And who could forget the world's first interactive snack Salt and shake crisps I was a big fan of salt and shake crisps People don't like them Because they're like, the salt gets to the bottom. Yeah, you get a big mouthful of delicious salt (laughs) That's what I want
2: My grandma still buys those crisps now Are they still out? (laughs) Yeah, they they still make them Yeah
0: that's a proper going-to-grandma's-house-food. Yeah. I love it. Uh, also, on the subject of Cardi's destructive bedtime behaviour, I should say, if you don't know what that is, it's not some sort of horrific sex act. He used to bite his the wood of his bed. Um, it's just somehow weirder. When I was a wee toddler, my bedroom had that horrible wood-chip wallpaper that looked like you'd painted rice onto the walls. I am surrounded that by that in my house right now. <laughs> um my cot was up against the wall And apparently I would spend hours Slowly picking the bits of rice off the wall Eventually my parents had to rearrange the whole room Just to stop me from ruining the walls I didn't eat it though I'm not a wood pervert Keep up the good work, Mike Tapia <laughs> Thanks for your scattershot approach To responding to our podcast Look <laughs> at how varied we are It's ridiculous Stupid people
1: Oh uh, what, what a dumb, dumb podcast we did <laughs> Yep <laughs> Right, this next one's from Jack Wright, who says, Greetings all, long-time listener, first-time writer, yada, yada, yada. I recently played through Deathloop and absolutely loved it. Correct opinion. This is why Matt's reading this one. Exactly. (laughs) I'd previously given Dishonored 2 a go and decided too quickly that it wasn't for me, but after playing Deathloop, I decided to go back and try some older arcane games. I played through Dishonored and nearly finished Dishonored Two now, and I'm absolutely loving them. The level design in Dishonored Two is some of the best I've seen. The Clockwork Mansion and the time travel in Stilton's Manor are so much fun. Question: Question I has as a later, the question is: Has a later game from a studio made you go back and revisit that studio's previous output in a new light? Keep up the quality output and respect to the sea, etc., etc. Jack in Galloway. P.S. Should I give Prey a go now? Yes, you absolutely should, because Prey is fantastic. Uh... Yeah, I'm trying to think of people where I've got... The thing with games is,
0: often, you know, they are a relentless march towards improvement. Mm -hmm. So it's not like movies where you can kind of go back and be like, this person made brilliant movies 30 years ago. Because fundamentally, humans have looked and done the same things for a while, as far as I understand science. Um, So I I can't think of, like can't think of a specific one i guess a way back like cappy games Mm -hmm. they started announcing and doing cool stuff like they announced below which i was really into the idea of and i went back and played um clash of might and magic that like that like strategy Mm -hmm. slash match three game that they did which is fucking amazing um so there's that kind of thing but yeah i can't really think of like Someone where
1: I've gone all the way back and tried stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh... Um, mine's actually. I've done a similar thing with From Software. Like I mm. played Demon Souls when it came out and didn't like it at all. Like I think I got to the first wall of Bolateria Castle, got killed by a skeleton. And was like, this ain't for me. Fuck off. <laughs> I hate skeletons. And then that's I a, was...
0: a good book. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh and then i can remember there being i was on an internship at Gamespot just as skyrim was coming out and I was talking to cam who was there at the time he was like skyrim's pretty good but it's still not going to beat dark souls as my favorite game this year so i was like well i'll have to look at what this dark souls thing is had not put two and two together that it was you know demon souls kind of follow-on um and i played that when it came out on pc and I, if I, I was looking at my Steam achievements the other day, I didn't even beat the Asylum Demon, the very first boss in that game, because clearly it very quickly decided not for me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got to um, Bloodborne, and I played Bloodborne like about three years after it came out, and realized like how much I loved Bloodborne. And I was like, well, if I like this so much, surely if I go back now, and with this new understanding, I will and has done exactly the same as what Jack did and like I've played Demon Souls, I've played Dark I've played Dark Souls, you know, I've finished Dark Souls 3. I played quite a lot of Sekiro. Um I've not played Dark Souls 2 yet. Uh and then obviously Elden Ring is pretty much probably my most anticipated game of the year. So I have had that kind of change. Emma, have you done anything like this?
2: I kind of did this with Resident Evil. Mhm. So the first Resident Evil game I actually played was 7, which is like super late. Um and I really enjoyed it so then I was like okay I should try some of the other games out but obviously like each Resident Evil game just feels like so different mm-hmm. um, so I played 7 then 5 then 4 and then 2 and 3 um, remakes So 7 yeah. then 5 I know yeah <laughs> it's a weird jump right <laughs> yeah
1: in, in terms of that like had you like previously were Resi did you just look at Resi and think this isn't for me and then seven's the thing that turned you or
2: yeah it was just sort of like i hadn't really like i looked at it and thought yeah like this i don't know if i can be bothered to go through because there were so many games out it was like do i really want to start like one and go through it um and then yeah seven looked really cool and i was like oh i'll give it a go and see if i actually like it um and then ended up really enjoying it so yeah i was just like okay i'll try these other ones but yeah like five is so different to seven which is also so different Mm -hmm. to four so that was like a really interesting journey through all of those games
1: yeah you're going from seven seven's probably one of my favorites you know a very very horror full-on sort of gross nastiness to then go to five which is just absolute bananas that must have been some some tonal whiplash for you
2: it was yeah i played it co-op as well which was sort of Mm -hmm. that made it quite like quite fun and uh quite funny but yeah it was very very different
1: cool well, if you've got any anything like that that you want to talk to us, all snacks, obviously, we love snacks, all weird goosebumps books, whatever nonsense you want to put in our inbox, it is ign underscore uk feedback at IGN.com. and that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, thank Matt, you. thank you for being such a consummate host. Well oh, thank you. Hope everybody else has a lovely weekend or day wherever you are listening to. And goodbye. We God oh, We need music. What are we playing? Oh, God. What have we talked about? Uh, uh... Can we have
2: the Goosebumps theme?
1: Yes! We could have Goosebumps, the Goosebumps theme the from the TV show. What a bit of nostalgia! Perfect. Here we go. Bye! Bye. <laughs>